Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Thursday, April 21st, 2022. This is the Mike Abadir Show, and I am your host, Mike Abadir. Glad to have you all with us today. If you're looking to get away from mask mandates and the Florida bill and anti-Elon Musk talk and all that stuff going on in the world of politics and social media, then you've come to the right place because we are going to be devoid of any of that nonsense. We're going to be talking sports and having fun for the next hour. Now, we're going to talk, of course, about baseball and football because football is year-round now, as we all know, in the news cycle. But we're also going to talk a little horse racing today. I'm actually really stoked to have maybe the most up-and-coming young announcer in all of horse racing, Matt Dennerman from Golden Gate Fields up in the Bay Area where the Bay comes to play. And uh, this look, this guy is, is, a, is a young man who is breaking into a field, let's face it, that's dominated by old, a bunch of old geezers, right? So it's, it's exciting and it's... It's uh, it gives kind of hope that the younger generations are going to get into the game. And um, a lot of times when you look up, you see somebody close to your age having fun, talking about it in a creative and a fun way. You kind of get inspired. You want to participate in the game of kings, sport of kings. So we'll talk to Matt probably in about 25 minutes or so. Obviously, I will let you guys know as I'm introducing him a little bit more details about Matt Dinnerman, track announcer, Golden Gate Fields. So let's get right to it. Let's start really quickly, actually, with the NBA. Don't talk a lot of NBA on this show, not because I don't like it. Well, I don't love the NBA like a lot of people do. I like the NBA, but I don't feel like it is my area of expertise. Putting it maybe a little bit differently, I think there are better people out there to listen to for NBA talk. I'm just being really candid with you guys. So if I had a choice, I probably wouldn't listen to me talk a lot of NBA. So that's why I don't spend a lot of time on it. But we are in the playoffs. And there are a couple of things that are evident to me. The first one is Golden State comes to play. Golden State is back. I don't think they're really ever gone, right? Because when they had the roster intact, they were winning. When they didn't have it intact, they weren't winning. Now they have it intact. So they're winning again. I would not bet against the Golden State Warriors in any way, shape, or form. Especially when we see that some of the teams that came into the season with a lot of hype are, quite frankly, a little bit underperforming, right? Uh, The Suns got whipped up on at home by the Pelicans. Now, I know the Pelicans are surging, 
Brandon Ingram absolutely dominated that game to push the Pelicans past the Suns and for the moment at least shifting home field advantage over the NOLA, over to NOLA, over to New Orleans. Um, so that was probably a bit surprising for a lot of people, especially because Phoenix was playing at home where they are pretty dominant. They've won 32 out of 41 games at home and the Pelicans have been awful on the road. They've only won 17 out of 41 road games. Yet they come in, drop 125 on the Phoenix Suns. So I consider that to be a big surprise over in the East. How about the Celtics? The Celtics had a great second half, but I think there are still a lot of people that are like the Nets have all the all-stars. They got the superstars. And now with Kyrie back, Kyrie Irving and Durant and company are going to lead this team to the finals. But the Celtics have had something to say about that. They're in the way. And right now they are playing like the better team. Uh, they've been dominant really in the fourth quarters. That's kind of been the tail of the tape where they've clutched, clamped down, clutch shooting, clamped down defensively. And now they have surged ahead to a 2 nothing lead. The Raptors are on the verge of getting eliminated by the 76ers. The Sixers lead that series three games to none. And the Heat lead their series two games to none. I would say those four teams look most impressive to me, at least. The Heat, the Sixers, the Celtics, and the Warriors. Unfortunately for the East, three of those teams I mentioned are in the East. Fortunately for us fans, we're going to get to see a really, really fun playoff moving forward. Because we're going to be left with some good teams in the East. And we can't always say that, can we? The East has not been a bastion of domination over the years it's really been the west by and large the west has dominated the nba for some time now the winners have typically come from the west there's some exceptions of course you know cleveland had a had a year and the raptors had a year we have to go back to the uh you know early 2010s for those heat teams with lebron uh, but look the NBA is about ebbs and flows within a game, within a season, and really within time periods and eras. And it looks like things might be flowing the East way finally. You would think after dozens and upon dozens of draft picks that some of these teams would finally rise. And I think uh, I think we're kind of seeing it. Although, you know, some of these teams maybe can be built by uh, free agency and all-star dumb like uh, the the Nets have been assembled. That's kind of been the trend of the NBA lately, right? Piece together an all-star team and go from a has-been to a contender overnight, so to speak. But I'm kind of seeing it a little bit differently. For the most part, the teams that are being built by the draft and then supplementing their draft talent that they're able to get on the cheap via first contract supplementing it with some free agent pieces here and there. If I'm an NBA general manager, that's how I would structure and build my teams. But again, what do I know? Not your NBA source of information here. So with that said, I've done my part. Talked a couple moments of the NBA. 
for all you NBA fans out there, I hope you enjoyed my two minutes of jabbering basketball. <laughs> so let's get to baseball. Everybody knows that baseball is dearest to my heart. I love baseball. It is my favorite sport. And yes, I know I work in the NFL, but I got to be honest. Baseball is my girlfriend. Football is my hobby. Okay, I stole that from Bo Jackson. That was Bo Jackson's line, right? But I feel the same way as Bo. You know, there's that kind of emotional sentiment when it comes to baseball dating back to childhood. It's a, it's a romance. It's a, uh, it's a love that cannot be matched by anything else in the sports world. So with that said, let's start with my beloved Red Sox. Blue Jays are are an interesting team because so I thought that this would be a team that would be winning a lot of their games with slugfests and it's been early but really so far the team the games that they've won it's because they've had good pitching performances right head to head against the Red Sox and each team has kind of uh, been able to, to steal a win uh, from one another you know late in the game and things of that nature um, that just par for the course when it comes to to this matchup, but the Blue Jays limited Boston to two runs today, where they went three to two, and they limited Boston to one run yesterday and won six to one. The game before, yes, the Red Sox won, but it was two to one. So, the Blue Jays pitching, maybe I underestimated the strength of their team in that they were a maybe a one-dimensional team with home runs and with great hitters. And I still think that that's the case. But I think I maybe really underestimated their, their pitching. Gosman is, look, that guy has turned his career around in a big, big way. And I should really spend more time giving him credit for what he's done with his career because I think now it's fair to say that he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, one of the best starting pitchers in baseball. Now, he maybe didn't have the best opportunity when he was with the Orioles for the first six years of his career. Didn't have great defense behind him. Uh, didn't have a lot of sticks to support him. And he had a couple of years where maybe you saw flashes of what he could be, some high strikeout totals, 174 and 179 in consecutive seasons. But look, when I, when I, you know, on the back of the baseball card, see ERAs like 566 and 425 and 468, Four four three, you know, I, I have to wonder, right? And then he uh, gets traded over to Atlanta, and he posts a uh, 6.19 in ERA in his first season with them. Then he's off to Cincinnati. His ERA is in the fours. Then he gets to San Francisco land, gets to the Bay Area. And all of a sudden, everything looked a lot better in a uh, abbreviated season 
he had a whip of 1.11, which basically means he's not letting a lot of base runners on base. Brought his ERA down into the mid-threes. And then his first full season with the Giants, which is last year, their 107-win season, he was dominant. He was really, really a dominant pitcher. He went 14-6 and six with a 2.81 ERA with a microscopic 1.04 whip, which is kind of in the uh, Kershaw, uh, Max Scherzer territory. That's the kind of uh, season he put together. Moves on as a free agent to Toronto, gets paid the big bucks, and so far, so good. 2.89 ERA, 1.13 whip, and he's... Uh, He's performing like the ace he got paid to be. So I know I spent a few minutes here talking about the Blue Jays, but while everybody else could be talking about their offense, I wanted to talk a little bit about their pitching. Also, their closer is pretty lights out, by the way. You get the ball in the ninth inning to Jordan Romano, and this guy's crushing it. His ERA is 1.29, and he's already got seven saves in this young season so far. You know, you always hope that there's, there isn't burnout when you get seven saves out of the first thir- 13 games. But my, my oh my, he's a weapon. You might as well use him uh, as long as you got him, right? I think that's kind of been the mentality. Now, I'm going to stick to the AL East for, for the moment and also transition to the NL West by saying this, that it's kind of rare in sports where you go into a season – with certain expectations and that it plays out the same way that you expected it to. That's a very, very rare thing when it comes to professional sports in America. Now, it's even more rare when you're applying it to two teams and even more rare, three teams and four teams, so on. But I'm talking about two divisions as a whole. The AL East and the NL West, high expectations going into the season. And man, oh man, they are meeting them galore. The AL East, put it to you this way, two days ago, Boston was in first place. Today, they're in fourth place. These two teams are going to beat up on each other throughout the season. And they're going to be switching spots in the standings constantly between the Blue Jays, the Yankees, the Rays, and the Red Sox. You know, they're all in that six, seven, eight win territory right now. And every series, you're going to see some movement in the standings. That's to be expected. But how about the NL West, where we expected the Dodgers and the Giants? I thought maybe the Giants would take a step back. Nope. They're still kicking some serious butt you know they had a uh, a roadblock there in new york against the mets who are maybe the best team in baseball right now at least sure playing like it but the dodgers are there atop the west no surprise there the giants are performing a you know similar level as last year they've got a 61 winning percent 615 the padres are kind of playing like how we expected them to last season going into last season where there were high hopes and uh, they're doing it right now without their superstar Fernando Tatis Jr. But there's another participant into this mix here which nobody at all expected which is the Colorado Rockies. 
the Rockies right now have to be the number one surprise team in baseball winning at a 667 clip. Now, before everybody comes at me and tells me, hey, it's early, it is early. Of course it is. But we're, we're through 12 games. You know, keep in mind, in, in four games, you know, so by the end of this weekend, when they've all played 16, we're actually already exactly 10% of the way through. And a lot's going to happen in the remaining 90%, of course. But if you split up the season into 10 segments of 16, what do you need to, to, to do to get into the playoffs? You know, go six and four out of those 10 segments. In other words, win more games in each of those 16 segments. So like go nine and seven, six times within those 16 game sub, you know, split up of the season. Hope I'm making sense. I might not be making any sense at all, but the Rockies so far, so good. The other team that I want to kind of give props to, actually, there are two of them. One is the Cleveland Guardians. And uh, for those who are just uh, starting to tune into baseball, we're talking about the team that was uh, the Indians for about 80 years. Now they are the Guardians. And they're playing really good baseball. They're sitting atop the American League Central Division. Which, let's face it, is not a very difficult division. The Tigers are there. The Royals are there. The Twins are there. The White Sox are the favorite. But boom, Cleveland Guardians are coming out of the gate playing good baseball, getting crazy good hitting and getting some solid pitching efforts. Now, there's a hitter. I said I'd mention fantasy baseball in the uh, tweet that I sent out. There's a hitter that's kind of a, a poor man's Trey Turner. That might be awfully high praise and setting the bar and expectations a little bit really, really high. But I'm going to roll with it. How about Miles Straw? This guy is so fast that he's going to have a high batting average or a higher batting average than anybody expects because he's going to leg out so many infield hits. He's going to beat out the throw so many times. This guy is a speed blazer. Check him out. Center fielder Miles Straw is a real fun player to watch. He's not going to drive in as many runs as Trey Turner. Doesn't have like the pop, but definitely can match him speed wise. So far, so good. He's got four stolen bases. He's batting 326. His uh, war so far is really, really good. Only matched on his team by maybe the hottest hitter in baseball, which is Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez, third baseman. Doesn't even look like a third baseman, does he? (laughs) But he is, and he's raking. And he is maybe the offensive player of the month so far to start this season. This guy's got 20 RBI so far. Four home runs, 20 RBI, 426 average. His OPS is 1.301. That's very Bonds, very Bonds-like in the first 12 games of the season. So this guy's raking. 20 RBI in 12 games puts you at, what, over a 200 RBI pace for the season. It's not going to end up like that. 
but he's crushing it so far and carrying this team in a big way offensively. Him and Miles Straw, table setters, the table setter and the cleanup guy. And then one other worth mentioning on the Indians is uh, Stephen Kwan. I never even heard of the guy going into this season, but that guy is an on-base machine. Uh, on the pitching side, Plesak and Bieber have been lethal. Up-and-comer Tristan McKenzie. You got to check this brother out. He is a flamethrower. He's a high strikeout player. He may turn out to be the best of the, of the bunch. This guy's a skinny guy. This guy's a lot skinnier to me than uh, Doc Gooden was when uh, he was a rookie. Remember those images of Doc Gooden back in uh, 84? Real, real tall, lanky, skinny. Can whip the ball like crazy. Tristan McKenzie has some remnants of Doc Gooden, but skinnier. This guy's six foot five, 165. So he's five inches taller than Pedro, but matches him on the weight. <laughs> uh, just like Doc Gooden, he's also from Florida. His birthplace is, and I'm not, I'm not gonna, well, I will try to butcher the name because I can't say it any other way. Lokahatchee? Loxahatchee? Florida? Something like that. Forgive me for all the locals that are uh, laughing at my pronunciation. But he's a Florida guy, as was or is Doc Gooden. Doc Gooden's from the greater Tampa area. Of course, Doc Gooden's famous nephew, Gary Sheffield. A lot of baseball players come from Florida, and Tristan McKenzie's one of the really exciting young players that's probably unheralded on a national level that deserves a lot of props for crushing it. Anyways, I am crushing this first segment and totally lost track of time, even though my man Jairi has been trying to get my attention for about eight minutes here. Let's take a late commercial timeout. We'll come back. We'll have more fun talking baseball right after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. 
Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to the Mike Abadir Show. This is Mike Abadir, of course. Who here saw the uh, Mike Tyson incident on uh, on an airline flight from the San Francisco International Airport to Florida? So Mike Tyson had the unfortunate scenario, and everybody that's flown has dealt with this, where you've got an uncomfortable situation with somebody seated near you or next to you. Now, usually it's, it's for me, at least it's been somebody that sits behind me on the plane that's constantly bumping with their knee, with their foot or getting in and out against the seat that I'm seated at. Super, super annoying, very inconsiderate too. Everybody has to be considerate of their space, the space to their left, right, and in front of them on an airplane. Some people just don't have that courtesy. Sometimes it's somebody that is just talking constantly and won't stop talking. Other times it's somebody that gets drunk and belligerent. Well, Mike Tyson kind of had all the above (laughs) from a guy that was sitting behind him. And he kept getting up and with his hands kind of pulling the headrest back to try to talk to Mike Tyson. The guy was wasted. And they took a selfie together. Tyson played nice for as long as as he could. But it got to a point where enough was enough. And some some lad seated uh, maybe a couple of rows away started filming it. And eventually this drunkard got under Mike Tyson's skin so much (laughs) that the dude started. Mike Tyson basically used him as a punching bag and kind of went off on the guy. And the the guy, I don't know if it was a prank or something because in the video footage, he was kind of shown doing kind of like a oops, pouty face, shrug kind of look like, oh, well, I got beat up. But it almost kind of seemed like an act. I don't know. Whether it was, whether it wasn't, he probably got what he deserved. But it was a little bit surprising to see Mike Tyson do that. I don't recall ever seeing him get physically crazy against a non-boxing opponent. I might be wrong. He's had a really long career and a long uh, life in the limelight. So I might be dead wrong about that. But I just don't recall it. I don't recall him really being a... um, an aggressive guy, at least to the general public. I don't think I've seen it before. And I'm sure that people are annoying as heck when it comes to Mike Tyson constantly. I mean, they're dealing with stuff that you and I are not dealing with. They being, you know, mega, mega stars, world famous type people. I got to imagine everybody wants to, 
you see him at a bar, everybody wants to be that legendary guy that wants to say that they knocked out Mike Tyson. So everybody, every drunkard with a little bit of liquid courage in him is probably trying to face off against uh, Iron Mike. And that's uh, probably some of the things he has to deal with in being a mega superstar boxer. Uh, but like I said, I don't think I've ever seen him get physical with anybody from the general public before. And so it's an interesting video. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I will continue with MLB talk in a moment because the next team that I was going to talk about was the Oakland A's. The A's are my third surprise team in baseball so far, especially after they kind of liquidated the entire uh, troop, if you will. And uh, you would think that they would take a big step back. I certainly thought that they would. But shame on me. Because time and time again, the Oakland A's have been able to retool their roster through their stellar minor league system and compete. It's more than just a uh, coincidence. It's a trend dating back to the days where they you know, unloaded Miguel Tejada and Jason Giambi and uh, all those pitchers, Hudson and Zito and Mulder. The one commonality, and I'll, I'll leave it with this, is that the A's typically are able to get the most out of their players they get the peak seasons from the players and then they decide to move on it would almost be like buyer beware for any of these guys that uh, move on from the a's because the a's at least are going to get their absolute top peak their analytic analytic modeling is impeccable now from the same region as the oakland a's is our next guest. And I'm not sure if he's an A's fan or not. We're going to find out. I know he uh, posted a tweet at an A's game, which was uh, sparsely attended, unfortunately. But nonetheless, we'll find out a little bit more about this guy. Now, this next guest is probably one of the most up-and-coming announcers in all of horse racing. Uh, He's heard that term many, many times. But he's just a really good announcer, in my opinion. And I'm talking, of course, about Matt Dinnerman of Golden Gate Fields. Matt, what is up, my man? How are you? Mike, good to talk to you. Everything's great. Um, I lost my wallet earlier today, but I found it. So I'm just in a great mood today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. And that I hate that feeling. Cell phone and wallet, two things you don't want to lose. And when you recover them, you're like on a, on a, on a high. You know, like nothing else can go wrong today because I re- recovered those. So I'm glad you did. We've got good mojo. Found the wallet on your show as well. So it's been a good day so far. So how's Outst- everything with you? Outstanding. Everything is really good with me. Uh, I, I love good. baseball and we got baseball back. And, uh, yeah. you know, this is, a, this is a great time for horse racing fans, of course, because uh, we are creeping up on the Kentucky Derby. And before I talk about you and Golden Gate Fields and all the exciting and good things that you guys are doing over there, do you follow the Triple Crown season closely? Do you follow the horse racing scene on a national level? Or are you too inundated with, uh, you know, the local colony and, uh, you know, just focusing on knowing everything in terms of workouts and, and uh, past performances to get you prepped for your weekend? 
To be honest with you, uh, as much as it can be, I think that it's probably a mix. I would say that when I was in college, for example, and I didn't have a particular racetrack, it was easier to keep track of every single big race and different circuits. Now that I'm at Golden Gate, it's a little bit harder to follow them 24-7 if you want to you know, be able to take a break and have a uh, have sort of a well-balanced lifestyle. Uh, but at the same time, I think for my job, especially as a racing analyst, not only as the announcer, but also somebody who handicaps and can give out opinions and is keeping up with the scene, it's important to keep track of the Triple Crown season and those big races going on, big days. So I definitely try to keep track. I have, I think, what, five TVs in my announcer's booth, actually. So it's easy to keep track if I put them on different tracks. But especially the Triple Crown season, it's a lot of fun. So I am sort of uh, looking for my derby horse right now. I like to wait until the post positions come out. I'm sort of old school that way. I don't like to make picks too early. I like to be able to look on paper and sort of rejog my memory on certain things about certain horses. But uh, I try to keep up to date the best I can, especially all the grade ones and all the stakes races as much as I can. Okay, so I won't put you on the spot then and ask for a uh, derby selection as if yet is there a horse that's you know that you're kind of like uh i'm, I'm kind of high on uh maybe a little bit under the radar maybe it's a west coast uh, horse from your sister track santa anita like uh i don't even know how to pronounce it is it taiba 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 Tiba, i believe I it's taiba i think it's taiba yeah, and, and that's an interesting situation, and, you know, we don't need to necessarily dig into that because I know there's been a lot of dissecting of that horse in the, in the sense of Taba was once with Bob Baffert, now with Tim Yakteen. Did the owners get with Baffert to handpick Tim, Tim Yakteen? Is Yak, uh, Baffert even involved at all or not? Do you, by any chance, do you have any insight into kind of the interplay, the inners of that situation at all? I don't. I mean, I know that uh, Tim Yakin, uh used to work for Bob Baffert um, at one point um, a number of years ago before I was actually really getting involved in racing. I think so. It was a long time ago. Um, I know a lot of the horses of Baffert's have gone to Sean McCarthy and a lot of the top class three-year-olds either on the Oaks Trail or the Derby Trail have gone to Tim Yakin. So I, I don't really uh know how exactly how that all works i'm assuming bob's going to get all those horses back as soon as he's done with his suspension uh but the rules are you're not supposed to have contact with uh you know if if those horses are in tim's barn bob's not supposed to have contact with tim about training the horses or really any contact so that's that's all i know really i'm a little bit i'm out of the loop a little bit in that respect but that's what i gather Fair enough. Do you, from what you've seen, do you think this horse is uh, capable of uh, taking the Derby run for the Roses crown? I think his talent, I think his talent can get him there. Um, when I was watching the race, actually, in my booth at Golden Gate, and this is rare for this to happen. I can think of it, I don't say it out loud, but I naturally saw this horse sort of level out down the lane, the way he was running, the way he put his head down and his body down and how aerodynamic he was, his stride. I mean, he has so little wasted energy. I don't think he has any wasted energy 
I said out loud, I said, wow, like that, because I was so amazed by this horse's stride and how he was moving. A beautiful stride. I mean, this horse is the real deal, I think. But, you know, I think he's one of those horses that's going to get bet hard. I mean, we're not going to see a, you know, two-to-one shot in the Derby. We're probably going to see a four-to-one favorite this year, maybe even nine-to-two. Uh, so, um, he's gonna. I think he's probably going to get bet, nonetheless. Uh, and he's the type of horse I'll probably try to beat just because it's not going to be easy for him to just make his third career race, comes off a career best effort. He really took a huge step forward, and I think there are other horses that have a foundation under them, and they're a little bit more ahead of the curve than he is. So do I think talent-wise he can win? Sure, absolutely. I think he actually could be the most raw talented of the three-year-olds out of anyone in the country. But there are other scenarios to keep in mind, and that's why we let him run the race, and that's why we handicap and look for horses sometimes at our better prices. So I think he can win. But betting-wise, I probably am going to try to beat him, and I have a couple in mind for sure. Anything you'd like to share, or are you holding it close to the vest for now? No, I'll, I'll share for sure. I was really impressed with a horse named Zandon or Zandon. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly how you say it. They've called him a couple different uh, names, Zandon or Zandon. It's Z-A-N-D-O-N uh, from the Chad Brown barn. I, I really look for horses that I think are going to relish the mile and a quarter, and a lot of these horses, they're, they're still learning, these three-year-olds, and, and, and they peak at different times, and you sort of have to find the one that's peaking at the right time, and I think this horse is, and I think he's really going to like a mile and a quarter. And uh, I, I think that really the way he won last time, he, he made a huge move last time, got a great ride from Floppy and Pratt, didn't have the greatest trip and still won and galloped out just fantastic. This horse is going to have no problem going a mile and a quarter. So uh, he's one that sort of really catches my eyes. So uh, he's one I'm looking at. I really liked Epicenter, the way he won uh, in Louisiana for Steve Asmussen. I think this horse here, you haven't gotten to the bottom of him. He's, he's a really, really nice horse. Uh, but but Zandon impressed me, and I think Zandon might go it off at a little bit of a higher price. So right now, he's what I'm looking at, but that's subject to change come post time. Yeah, no doubt about that. I want to spend some time because I loved what you just said uh, about Taba in terms of him not mm-hmm. wasting much energy. And I think that description, it kind of rung a bell to me that, wow, Matt, Matt's maybe analyzing horses at a different level than most handicappers, looking maybe at slightly different things. And it makes me want to ask you about how you got into the game and your familiarity with horses. But I'm up against the clock for a quick timeout. You have a few minutes to hang with us and uh, we can continue right after the break. Absolutely. You got it, Mike. Outstanding. We're talking to Matt Dinnerman, the fine young announcer from Golden Gate Fields. We're going to take a really quick time out. We're going to talk to Matt and get to know him a little bit better right after this. The network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back with Matt Dinnerman, the Golden Gate Fields track announcer and analyst, and during the break, I was just telling him that, um, you know, well, my origins in horse racing to to go back a ways. Golden Gate Fields was always my home track. And the fair circuit is where I really, really, really got a love for horse racing because it's small and intimate. And Stockton was the closest one to me. So I was always excited when the fair circuit came to town, so to speak, because I'm from Modesto, which is just a few moments away from Stockton. Then I went off to college and uh, I'm going to blame my poor grades on uh, Del Mar um, because not just the race meets were exciting, but. You also had late night shot in going, and that wasn't the commonplace for an OTB. So they'd be open till like midnight or one in the morning. So uh, I was there quite a bit, especially when there were beer specials. And then after UCSD, I went off to law school in San Francisco at Golden Gate School of Law. And over there, I played a lot of hooky and went to Golden Gate Fields when I should have been at class. I did not score as well as many other fellow lawyers that graduated with me, but somehow, some way, I got the tassel afterwards. Matt, what is your background in horse racing? How did you come up into the sport? Because you've got an intimate knowledge of horses that differ- differs from most handicappers and fans. Yes, and we've sort of been on the same course on the map, so to speak, because I actually grew up in San Diego, uh, where you went to college, as we talked about, off the air there. And my dad, when I was probably 10 or 11 years old, was the first time I went to the track. And I was just really enamored with the horses, and they were coming down the lane, beautiful athletes, you know, looking at them in the paddock. 
hear in the crowd get all excited and cheering, and it was festive and lively at Del Mar, obviously. The jockeys, you know, amazing to watch them. I was really interested in the announcer. I'd always ask questions about the announcer. Um, so just the whole deal of race day and really intrigued me, and I wanted to keep going back. And I think after the first time or second time, I told my dad, can you take me back to the races? Because I think the first time I went, it was because my mom had something to do, and my dad was going to go to the races, and he sort of looked at my mom, and he's like, well, should I just take him to the races then? Because we can't get a babysitter here. Uh, this is sort of a last-minute thing that we both have to, you know, I was scheduled to go to the races, and my mom, I guess, had something to do last minute. And she goes, yeah, if you want to take him to the races, and they had no idea that I'd get hooked on it, but uh, here we go. So my love for the horses sort of started out there, and eventually we actually were neighbors with a bloodstock agent named Gail Van Leer, uh, coincidentally, and my dad and her were on the homeowners association for the gated community we lived in at the time. And she took me to the back stretch. I got to meet some trainers and touch some horses and talk to some jockeys and other folks. And things just sort of spiraled into me trying to get a career into this game. Wow, that's fascinating. You know what inspired uh, this interview today that we're having right now is actually a tweet that was sent out maybe a week, week and a half ago, and it really got me thinking. The question in the tweet that was posed was, how important is a track announcer to you? How much does that enhance the horse racing experience? And for me, I was like, absolutely. I'm a big announcer kind of junky if you will anyways whether it's baseball or football and of course in the bay area we've been blessed uh, not that i'm in the bay anymore but uh, john miller and and uh you know kype and crook and lon simmons and so many greats and uh who who let's start with horse racing who did you model yourself after if anyone and who in horse racing are you a fan of, <clears throat> excuse me, a fan of, uh, as well as just in the sports world as well, whether it's a Bob Costas or or a Dick Enberg or, or, you know, anybody, Mike Tirico, you name it. Who, who, are, who are the guys that you kind of liked listening to when watching a ball game? So the thing about announcing, especially horse racing, that I think is really neat and what I really like about doing is the fact that you can create your own style. You can listen to different people, sort of take different things from different people that you enjoy and creating your own style about it. You see that in music, for example, when you hear musicians talking about folks that they looked up to, the same sort of scenario. So... I wouldn't say that there's one particular person that I want to emulate. I think there are a lot of different types of styles that I try to create my own. Trevor Denman was certainly a, a person that I looked up to as an announcer. and I still talk to him to this day, especially when he's at Del Mar. I always go visit his booth, and we always seem to have you know, good, long, intimate conversations about announcing and the business and all sorts of different things. Um, he's definitely somebody that I really try to emulate in the sense that not copycat. I would never suggest copying anybody because you want to create your own style, but somebody that you can aspire to be like, because Trevor was like a reporter and he was able to pick up moves before they happen. And he was able to describe a race and paint the picture just so well. 
Uh, so that's something that if someone were to come up to me and say, you know, when I close my eyes and listen, you call a race and I can picture what's going on, that's an ultimate compliment for me or any announcer for that matter. One announcer to um, Robert Geller, who coincidentally called it Shotton, and I know you mentioned uh, Shotton. He called it Shotton, I believe, in the 90s, and he was at Emerald Downs before I got the gig at Emerald when he left to go to Woodbine. He's a good mentor of mine. We've become really close friends, and he's another one who is just fantastic at calling a race, describing the action. He's a wordsmith. He's a great vocabulary. So those are the two guys the most, and I've talked to a lot of different other announcers as well, but those are the two guys that I've really uh, asked a lot of questions, listened to them, tried to see, okay, what are they doing to be successful, and what can I do to create my own style as well while maybe adding a few things that they do. Uh, And a third person from out of the industry that I haven't talked to, I've never met him, but I really enjoyed calling races and listening to uh, him described the action with Doc Emmerich from hockey. Um, he 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 was he. I mean, he was just the ultimate pro. I mean, it's it's very hard to call a hockey game. His cadence, unbelievable. The way he was able to adjust his cadence, adjust his voice levels, um, know when the situation called for excitement, when it didn't, setting the tone, describing accurately, perfectly. So those three guys are sort of big names that I I think about when I think about people that I sort of looked at as uh, people to listen to and aspire to be like. Very cool. Now, we only have about seven minutes or so, so I kind of I'm not going to see a rapid fire, but, you know, maybe just uh, uh, I want to hit on a few different things. So I'm going to go a little bit faster and uh, ask you mentioned hockey. What are your favorite sports outside of horse racing? Anything that you follow? Any teams in particular? Any players? So I really like the NFL. Um, I used to be a Chargers fan. Not anymore because they moved out of San Diego. <laughs> I wasn't thrilled about it. So <laughs> yeah, I don't root for the Chargers anymore. <laughs> what would you say? I said, yeah, of course. A lot of San Diegans yeah. feel the exact same way. Right, right. So I'm not a Chargers fan. I was born into a Patriots family because my family's both. My mom and my dad are from Massachusetts, and we have a lot of people back uh, in New England. So naturally, I root for them. Um, They're sort of my football team. Uh, I like baseball. I played baseball for 15 years. I was never in the major leagues, but I played baseball for a long, long time a lot of my childhood so baseball is something i follow and i enjoy following the athletics and the giants here uh where i am locally not as much as the padres where i'm front so so i root for the giants and the a's up here but those are sort of my two sports i like hockey i like watching hockey um especially live i like watching it i don't know as much about the game as maybe a, a an expert but i enjoy the game of hockey and no red Sox on your list huh I, I do I do watch the Red Sox, but I don't follow them that hard. Like if they're in the playoffs, I don't have anyone else to root for. I'll root for them. Uh, but I, I would say that I root a little more for 
Well, I, I guess I guess you could say the Red Sox, yeah. But I, I root for the Giants and Oakland A's. They're they're my team. Like if the A's were playing the Red Sox, I may have to tell my mom and dad, sorry, I got to root for the A's. You know? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, I'm asking about the Red Sox because uh, everybody that listens to the show knows I am a big big Red Sox fan. Even though I'm not from Boston and have no roots over there, I actually grew up uh, in an area that was inundated with the teams that you root for, which are the Giants and the A's. And uh, I'm a little bit older yeah. than you in my 40s, so I grew up with the Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, Will Clark, Kevin Mitchell, Matt Williams era. Sure. Uh, sure. Who, who have been kind of your ball players that maybe you had posters of in your bedroom or collected their baseball cards? I would have to imagine that the list probably starts with Tony Gwynn. Yeah, so when I was a kid, I was a big Padres fan. And in 1998, when I was what I was six years old back then, and I still remember it, even though I was that young, they were a fantastic team, and they went to the World Series, and they got swept by the Yankees that year. But that was one of the best teams the Padres have ever had. Tony Gwynn was on that team. Um, let's see, who else was on there? Greg Vaughn, uh, Ken, Ken Caminiti. Caminiti. Maybe he was on that team that was MVP year. Ken was Ken Caminiti, yep, Steve Finley, Trevor Hoffman. I loved him. I loved Trevor Hoffman when I was a kid. He was the closer for the Padres and obviously one of the more successful closers ever. He's on the same level as Mariano Rivera. Um, and then as time went on, actually one of my favorite players when I was a kid, just a random player on the Padres was Ryan Klesko and Phil Nevin. I mean, those guys, you know, in probably what, early 2000s, 2000. Yeah, uh, those guys I really like watching. Yeah, so I, I was very focused on the Padres as a young kid, uh, and those were sort of the, the the players on the Padres that I enjoyed. But that 1998 team, I remember it, even though I was really small, uh, was well, that that was a really good team, Mike. Yeah, it sure was, man. And uh, yeah, Phil Nevin, some Bay Area roots. He played at Cal in the uh, Pac-10 at that time. Yeah. And uh, Klesko, a lot of pop with the Braves and the Padres. Uh, good good pair to, to root for, definitely, if you're a Padres fan. I want to bring it back to racing in the last couple of moments here. Uh, two quick hit questions. Is there a holy grail job? Of course, I know you love Golden Gate, but is there a holy grail job that every announcer would want, whether it be, you know, Saratoga or or Churchill Downs or the Kentucky Derby or maybe just the Breeders' Cup weekend or uh, one of those big tracks in Europe or something? Is there a holy grail job? And then the other question, because we only have about two minutes left or a little bit less, is uh, for you to plug Golden Gate and let us know what's going on there, uh, anything that we should know about, et cetera. So I'll let you take the realm here. Yeah, so we'll, you know, we'll do two halves. Obviously, there's two questions, so we'll do two parts of this answer. The first is your first question, which is, is there a holy grail for announcers? I mean, you could you could say, for example, in America, something like Saratoga, Keeneland, Santa Anita, and Del Mar. Those are sort of four tracks that a lot of people would like to have. But on the same token, I've learned that as I've gotten older here and spent years doing this now, that there are a lot of people that there are different tracks that they'd want to be at for different reasons. That's their own holy grail. 
Um, and there are certain places, like, for example, Golden Gate that I'm at, and I absolutely love it here. And sure, if there was another really nice opportunity out there, then you'd consider it, obviously. It's something that anybody would consider if a great opportunity arises that maybe somebody could have the chance to call it a, at a place like a Saratoga or something like that or a Del Mar. But um, I, I think it's really important. I think a lot of announcers are this way, that j- just really thankful for the opportunities that they have now because – there aren't that many tracks out there. See, when you get a job, uh, you feel really humbled and honored that the track management is, is trusting you to be their guy to call the race sure. to the voice of their sure. track. Hey, so Matt, I hate to interrupt. I, I take that as- I hate to interrupt yeah, your, your great thoughtful answer. I'm being told we got about 20 seconds left, so I got to close. But we'll definitely have you back if you're up for it and uh, continue the conversation because this has been a great one. Matt, thank you so much. Everybody, check out Matt Dinnerman. Check out Golden Gate Fields. Great place to play. Early pick five is maybe the best unknown bet in all of horse racing. Thank you to all the listeners. We will see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.